Now, anyone that has done any gardening or has done any kind of landscaping knows of the battle that you have with weeds, right? You don't plant them. You don't want them, but somehow they manage to find their way into your garden or into your yard. And if you don't do something about them quickly, what happens? Weeds will eventually begin to choke out everything else in your yard. This morning, we're looking at the parable of the wheat and the weeds found in Matthew chapter 13. Last week we began walking through this chapter together. And this chapter is full of parable after parable after parable. And if you remember last week we looked at the definition of what a parable is. Simple definition is this. A parable is a practical story that illustrates a spiritual truth. One writer wrote, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Last week, we looked at the parable of the sower, who, while he was out sowing his seed, saw seed fall amongst four different types of soil. And if you remember, in in the first century, the way that they did farming is much different than the way that we do it today. The, The farmer would go out into his field, and he would take his seed, and he would just cast out that seed. And wherever that seed landed is where it would remain. And the soil that landed on the the pathway... If you recall, is this, is, um, the, the seed was, was robbed by the birds of the air and eventually the devil, um, comes into the heart of man and steals the word. The person that has a hard heart, which is represented here, is the person that hears the word and it literally goes in one ear and out the other ear. And then the next type of soil, um, represented the seed fell amongst the rocks where there is very limited soil and there are no nutrients. So that seed may begin to grow up a little bit, but it's never going to produce any fruit. And this represents the Christian or the person that, that, that makes a profession of faith and they come to Christ and they're all excited about Christ. They're excited about his word. But when life begins to get a little challenging, they abandon the word. They abandon their faith and they turn to the world for their strength. The next seed fell amongst the thorns. And if you recall, with this person, um, they receive the word. It begins to even take root in their lives. But when the pressures of this world begin to happen, what literally happens is the word of God is choked out of their lives by the priorities of this world. And then the final soil that we looked at was the fertile soil. And that seed fell. Um, when, when that seed was cast out, the first type three seeds, the, the, the farmer wasn't going to go and, and try to get those seeds and put it in the fertile soil. But the seed that fell amongst the fertile soil, what the farmer would do is he would come in afterwards and he would till up the land and that seed would penetrate into that fertile soil and eventually that seed would begin to take root and that seed would begin to grow. And that's what it's like for us as believers. When we receive the word of God and we allow God's word to penetrate into our hearts, that word begins to take root. And that word begins to grow. And that word begins to bear fruit. And God's word, as we looked at last week in Acts 12, 24, 
4, God's word increases and it multiplies. We read, but the word of God increased and multiplied. That's what God's word does. It increases and it multiplies. The parable of the soil shows us the reproducing power of the word of God. This morning we'll be looking at another parable. This is the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And once again, a sower goes out and he sows some seed in his field. But while he is sleeping, the enemy comes in and also sows some seed in that very same field. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 24 through 30 together, and then we're going to drop down and read verses 36 through 43 together. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30 first. This is what we read. This is what God's word says. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. And now drop down and read with me verses 36 through 43. And this is going to be Jesus explaining the parable to his disciples. And next week we'll come back and we'll look at the the verses in between these two um, sets of verses. But beginning in verse 36, we read this. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the son of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Notice this morning that Jesus uses this particular parable to explain to his disciples about the kingdom of heaven and about the end times. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he preached the very message that John the Baptist came and preached to the people. In Matthew 3, 2, um, we read, this is the message that John preached as well as Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's what we need to understand about the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom of heaven, he was speaking of it in a present reality. Jesus was making it clear that the long-awaited king, the Messiah, was here. And Jesus was making it clear that he indeed was the Son of God. He was the Messiah, and his kingdom was at hand. Know this, King Jesus is still here. He dwells within each one of us, and there are believers, and, and that are believers, and we are his agents, that he is set apart to advance the gospel 
gospel of Jesus Christ across these cities, across this nation, across this world. We have been called and set apart to reach the people of this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The king is here. And his kingdom is advancing. And his kingdom is advancing through his church, through believers like us that are out actively proclaiming the good news of salvation. Also know that the kingdom of heaven is still a future realization. King Jesus is coming back and his kingdom will one day be complete. In the expository commentary, we read this. In this parable, Jesus is talking about how the kingdom of heaven, the redemptive rule and reign of God in Christ is breaking in now. But it will not be complete. His kingdom will not be consummated until later when Jesus Christ returns. So we, as we walk through this parable together this morning, know that there is the here and now, and there is also the yet to come. So our message point this morning, as we walk through this message together, know that there are two sowers, there are two seeds, and there are two destinations that we're going to look at together this morning. But before we continue, let's bow in prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning, thanking you for the power of your word. Thanking you for the privilege it is to come together, Father, as, as a faith family. To worship you and to sit under um, the authority of your word. And Lord, now we pray that your word, Father, will penetrate into each one of our hearts and each one of our minds. May every single one of us in the, this room leave forever changed as a result of what you're going to do this morning in our lives. Father, I pray that you will speak to me, speak through me, hide me behind your cross this morning, Lord. And I pray, Father, as we walk through these passages of Scripture together, that you will reveal to each one of us truth, the truth of your word, and help us, Lord, to take your word and apply it to our lives on a daily basis. Lord, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So notice our first point this morning. It is this, the sowing of the seed. The sowing of the seed. Last week, the focus of our message was very much on the soil and not so much on the seed, even though the growth of the seed and the fruit of the seed is essential within the life of the believer. We ma- what made the seed grow was the right soil. Your and my spiritual growth is also conditioned on us having the right heart. If our heart is receptive and we allow the word of God to penetrate into our heart and take root in our lives, then we too will bear fruit. God's word will increase and multiply through the work of his church. Within our parable this morning, we find two different sowers that sow two different seed in the same field. The first sower is the Son of Man. And we know that the Son of Man is Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. The field is his domain. He owns the field. He owns the soil. He owns the mineral rights. He owns all structures associated with that field. The field is his. Notice the other sower. The other sower is the evil one, the devil. 
And his demonic fallen angels are actively at work on this earth. And we see that picture right here in this passage of scripture that we just looked at. Satan sows deception where he was never invited to sow. Scripture tells us of Satan in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In John 10, 10, the first part of that passage, Jesus said this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is a thief. He is a liar. He is a murderer, and he is out to destroy his church his people, the family unit. He is out to destroy civilization as a whole. He is out to destroy the work of the Lord, all believers, each of us in this room, and he is out to destroy the church of God. And once again, he sows where he was never invited to sow. And we see that picture right here in this passage of scripture where the enemy comes in at night and he sows his seed in the midst of the good seed. So notice the next point this morning. It is this, the growing of the plant. So we have two sowers and each sower plants their own seed. Jesus, we see in this passage, represents the sower that sowed the wheat. The other sower, the evil one, the devil planted weeds in the field. As the good seed took root, and began to grow. So did the weeds that were planted by the evil one. And as I was doing research for this message, I came across source after source that, that indicates that it is most likely that this particular weed seed that was planted was called the Darnell seed which is a weed that is related to ryegrass. And side by side in the early stages of growth, you can't tell the difference between the wheat and the darnel seed. It is only as the wheat began to begins to produce its head and the and the darnel seed begins to produce its head that you can distinguish between the two. And if these two seeds were harvested at the same time and were mixed together, it would create a toxic mess. The weeds were poisonous and could make you very, very sick if you ate them and digested them. It was pretty common during the first century for an enemy to sneak onto another person's land and sow weeds amongst the, 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 the other seeds that were planted. In fact, it was so common that the Romans actually had a law that punished anyone that did that very thing. So we have two seeds. There's the good seed, and the good seed represents the true believers, those whom have experienced God's grace and mercy. An interesting fact about wheat that I didn't realize is wheat does not have a very deep root system, especially compared to how tall wheat grows um, 
it, 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 it just doesn't have a very deep root system. And, and because of this, if you were to go out into the field and were to pull up the weeds along, um, and, and try to leave the wheat alone, you wouldn't be able to do that because the wheat roots are the weed roots could possibly get too close to the wheat roots. And if you pulled up the weeds, then you would damage the wheat and make the wheat unharvestable. So just like wheat is not firmly attached to this earth, the same ought to be said of us as Christians. We should not be too firmly attached to this world or the things that are in this world. I came across this illustration about an 82-year-old woman that lived in Europe during World War II. When war broke out, um, the authorities came to her home and knocked on the door and told her, that you have 15 minutes to get out of your house. So gather up all that you can and get out of your house now because you are in grave danger. She said this. She said, every bit of who I am is in this house. How can you expect me to pack it up and leave so quickly? You know, one day Jesus is going to return and you and I must not be too attached to this world. We better be deeply rooted in God's word as opposed to being deeply rooted in this world. The next scene is the toxic seed. And the toxic seed represents two different kinds of people. First, it represents the unbelievers in the world. It represents anyone that outright denies the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of the websites that I go to is, um, hang on a second. I'm, one of the websites that I go to is the World Watch um, Clock. And you can see on that website all the people that are being born every minute and dying every minute and and also what the current world population is. And believe it or not, right now there are over 7.5 billion people that live on this planet. Researchers tell us that there's about 2 billion Christians that are alive right now. That means 5.5 billion people that live on this planet today are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, they outright deny that there is a Christ or that there is a Lord. They, they reject Christ. They reject his life, death, and resurrection. So they are against the work of the church. 5.5 billion people. Okay? So not only are there unbelievers in our world, but notice also there are counterfeit believers in our midst. I'm going to tell you right now, it is my belief, okay, this is just me talking here, that there are not 2 billion Christians that live on planet Earth today. If there were 2 billion Christians that were, that were faithful to God's word and faithful to the advancement of God's word amongst um, our cities and our nations, then I think that we would see a drastic change within the hearts of men as we do life with unbelievers. There are many... I believe, 
within those two billion that truly believe they are Christians because they were born into a home that claims to be Christian. They were baptized as infants. They may attend church on Easter. They may attend church um, on Christmas Eve candlelight service. But outside of that, they don't grace the doors of the church and they don't open God's word. They have never repented of their sins. They have never cried out to Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of their life. They have never abandoned this earthly kingdom for a better kingdom, a heavenly one. And because of that, when they die one day, they are going to think that they're going to spend eternity in heaven. But the reality is they are not. You know, there are counterfeit believers within our churches every single week. When you hear the term counterfeit, what do you think about? You know, immediately what I think about is money. I think about counterfeit money. And I, I read that, that a bank teller, the way that they are able to identify the difference between a counterfeit and the real thing is by studying the real thing so much that when a counterfeit comes across their desk, they are able to identify it immediately. One of our contacts down in Ecuador is Guillermo. And you've heard me speak of Guillermo. You've heard Ken and those that have come back from Ecuador also share about Guillermo. And the great thing about doing mission work in Ecuador is Ecuador accepts U.S. currency. That's their currency, in fact. And, and I'll never forget, um, it was either in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, the new $100 bill came out. You remember the new $100 bill? Man, it looked fake, didn't it? When, it? when you got that first one, it looked fake. In fact, Guillermo, before I led a team down there one time, he called me up and he said, Chad, do not bring any $100 bills with you on this trip. Now I asked him, why is that? And he said, because the banks will not accept them because they look fake to us. And I thought that that was so ironic that, that, that they thought that the new 100 certified bill was a counterfeit. It could be that in our midst this morning, some of you may be counterfeit Christians. And hear me as I say that I'm not condemning this morning, but, but my prayer for all of us in this room is that we all come to faith on our own. I pray that your faith is not your parents' faith. I pray that your faith is not your friend's faith. I pray that your faith is not your spouse's faith. I pray that your faith is your faith because you have come to believe in Jesus Christ on your own. You have repented of your sins and you have cried out to Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. I want you to know right now the faith of others is not your entry point into heaven. Jesus is. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus. That is through faith in Jesus and receiving the grace of Jesus. That's the only way a person can get into heaven. 
Just by saying that you're a Christian, just by relying upon the faith of your parents or the faith of your spouse or the faith of another person, that will not get you into heaven. It is only through Jesus Christ that you come unto Jesus and are granted entry into heaven. Notice the next step in the cultivation process. It is this, the harvesting of the crop. The harvesting of the crop. So what did the owner of the field tell his workers to do? Did he tell them to go and immediately pull up the weeds? Did he tell him to destroy the entire crop? No, he didn't tell him that at all. Notice what, once again, in Matthew 13, verses 29 through 30, this is what we read. But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The workers, once the harvest was ready, knowing that the wheat could no longer be damaged, they went out into the field and they gathered up all of the weeds. Then they burn those weeds so that those seeds would no longer enter into that person's field or into another person's field. And once those weeds were burned off, then they went in and they harvested the rest of the crop and they took that bounty and they stored it away in the barn. Here's the spiritual application this morning. Notice the two different destinations. There is the separating of the unbelievers first. We read in verses 39 through 42 again, it says, And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unbelievers will be separated out from the believers, and they will be punished and sentenced to an eternal hell because of their sin and rebellion and because they chose to deny and reject Christ instead of believe in him for salvation. Folks, hell is a real place. It is a place that those who reject Christ will spend an eternity in. I do not say this to scare you. I do not say this so that, uh, because I want you to think that, that, that God is all about damning people to hell. That is not the case at all. In fact, God loves each and every one of us in this room so much that according to God's word in John 13, 3.16, Jesus spoke these words. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is not a God that is about damning people to hell. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. It was not created for anyone else. But because of sin and because of rebellion and because of rejection, man sentences themselves to hell. Okay? 
But God's desire for all of us, all of the people outside of the doors of this church, is for them to come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is the scattering of the unbelievers. Those that have flat out rejected Jesus Christ will spend eternity separated from him in hell. But also notice this. Notice the gathering of the believers. In, verses, in verse 43 we read, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. At the harvest of the last days, believers will be gathered to heaven. You know how a farmer knows when wheat is ready to be harvested? The head of that wheat begins to bow over. It begins to bow down toward the ground. The weeds, Darnell seeds, they're lighter. And so they never bow down before the ground or toward the ground. If you ever see wheat standing straight up, then you know that it is not ready to harvest. But when that wheat begins to bow its head toward the ground, it is ready. You know, when I read that, I thought, what a great picture of a believer versus a non-believer. For a believer, all of us, when we came to Christ, we bowed down our head and acknowledged our great king as being the author and perfecter of our lives. We bowed down and worshiped him. On the flip side of that, for an unbeliever, an unbeliever has never bowed their head and worshiped and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture is clear that those that have bowed their heads in submission to the Lord, eternity awaits them. For those who have not bowed because of their pride and rebellion, Scripture is also clear that eternal death awaits. Make no mistake about it. Philippians 2, one of my favorite passages of Scripture There is. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Paul wrote these words. He said, Therefore, speaking of Jesus, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow one day in submission and acknowledgement to King Jesus. Every knee. For some, and I pray for all of us in this room and every single person that we do life with, that bowing will happen on this side of eternity. But Scripture is clear. If it doesn't happen on this side of eternity... It will happen on the other side of eternity. And for those that reject Christ here, they too will bend a knee within the depths of this earth. They will one day acknowledge that Jesus is King, that Jesus is Lord. But for them, it will be too late. Folks, the enemy is amongst us. 
He is sowing seeds of rebellion within the hearts of men, women, students, and children every single day. He roams around like a roaring lion. But the harvest is coming. And we know that in the end, Satan is not the Lord of the harvest. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. If Jesus was to return today, would you be ready? Are you ready for the great end time harvest? Folks, here is what we know. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. We don't know the day or the time or the hour. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be next week. It may not occur in our lifetime, but then again, it may occur in our lifetime. And Scripture is very, very clear that we better be ready for when that day comes. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered your life over to him? If you have not done that, then this morning, I pray that you will make the greatest decision that you could ever make. This morning, we began our service with these baptismal waters stirring. Allie came last Sunday having recommitted her life to Jesus. Macy came last Sunday professing Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. In this room this morning, you may be like Macy. You may need to come for the first time and acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have never done that, in just a moment I'm going to pray, and after we pray I'm going to invite you to come. Don't leave this place this morning without knowing for certain if you were to die where you will spend eternity. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, acknowledging that you are king, that you are Lord that you are our Savior, that you are the only way that one can enter into eternity. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that if there is someone in this room that is yet to surrender their lives over to you, that this morning they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Father, I pray that it will not be said of any of us in this room that we were counterfeit Christians, that we were going through the motions, or that we were relying upon the faith of another to get us into heaven. Father, we know that you're the only way. And so, Father, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you will stir the hearts of men, women, students, and children in this room. If there is one or more that do not know you. I pray this morning that they will come to know you. Father, I pray that today will be the day that they bow in submission before you and acknowledge you as the King and Lord of their lives. 
Father, your word says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So, Father, if there is someone in this place that has yet to do that this morning, I pray that they will do that very thing. Lord, there may be some in this room this morning that has been visiting this church for a while, and today you're leading them to become a part of this faith family. And, Lord, we welcome them into your church here at Friendship. Father, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make this morning, you come. You come as a praise team sings. If you need to come receiving Christ, you come. If you need to come joining this church, you come. You come now.